Welcome to the Gravity Technique podcast. My name is Kaz and I'm the creator of the Gravity Technique, which is a bridge between the face-meltingly boring science world and the practical application of how your body actually works. I've spent 20 years researching anatomy and movement so you don't have to, and this podcast is where I deep dive into debunking, de-jargoning and myth-busting some of our most common ailments. So if you're ready to feel empowered and take responsibility for your own health and well-being, let's get started. Hello and welcome to this week's episode and happy International Yoga Day, which is interesting actually because what I, the subject that I've written down for this episode uh, was all about trust and the connection between the mind and the body. So there is a, a deep connection between mind and body. The body is a reflection of the mind and the mind is a reflection of what's going on in the body and we we can't separate the two yet the dialogue between the two can get a little uh, broken when we have certain factors going on. So what I was thinking about um, the which was born from a comment that I had from one of my long-term students. Um, she said, I can feel my right foot, right leg on the floor again, and it seems to be okay. Is this because I now trust the foot and the leg to hold me up again? And the answer to the question is yes. They're putting a foot back on the floor after you've taken a tumble or after it's uh, in inverted commas let you down um and i see there's a lot in falls when we when we work with uh, people who have had falls it's not just a physical issue there is a problem with the brain now not trusting the foot on the floor to provide adequate stability um so we we kind of get a little bit stuck. And in my own experience, I definitely had an issue with my brain trusting my body after my uh, kidney issues. And I really felt that a part of my body had let me down. That was, uh, that was a, a message that was being rattled around in my brain quite a lot. So the brain looks down into the body and says, well, you did this thing and uh, this didn't work out for us, so now you don't get trusted to do anything by yourself and I'm going to overdo everything else just in case. The same thing happens again, and of course that brings us back to something that we talk about a lot here, which is the central part of the brain, the amygdala, um, the part of the brain that is designed to keep us safe. So when we're working with the part of the brain that's designed to keep us safe it's designed to keep you safe it's not designed to keep you comfortable but what it tries to do what it strives to do as far as we can see is not to allow you to go back into a situation that was unsafe so with regard to when we've fallen over if we've put our foot down onto ground that was unsteady or we put our foot down we missed the bottom step or we put our foot down and the uh you know we've fallen off a curb something like that lots of different ankle injuries i've seen leg breaks that i've seen over the years here in the tgt studio so with that in mind now we have to start the process of 
re-establishing connection between the foot and the ground, re-establishing the connection between the leg, the foot and uh, the connection of, of or the integration of the leg into the, back into the spine, back into the deep waist so that the leg then becomes part of the body again, but also putting the foot on the ground and reassuring the brain that there is stability there. So we have to rebuild the trust connection between the mind and the body. Um, and the reason that I found that quite interesting on International Yoga Day is we've been talking a lot about uh, yoga and once upon a time, as you probably know, if you've been listening to this podcast or you've worked with me before, I used to be a yoga teacher. And some people still do call me a yoga teacher, although I don't call myself a yoga teacher because I found that it wasn't useful when it came to uh, securing new students or new clients. Um, back in the day when I used to be on the school playground many moons ago uh, and the other mums would say you know what is it that you do and I'd say I'm a yoga teacher and they would say I can't do that oh I'm not flexible enough to be able to do yoga oh I'm stiff as a board I couldn't possibly do yoga oh I'm not the right shape to do yoga oh my god my tummy would get in the in the way I couldn't possibly you know do yoga so and this is where I started to really run into difficulties with, in inverted commas, yoga. Because if you Google yoga, you'll understand why. And if you subscribe to any yoga channels on Instagram, you'll also see some really extreme postures. And this is the yoga that we have become associated with over in the West. And it's kind of got lost in translation because when we think about yoga, we then think about somebody upside down, feet on their head, um, probably not very much body fat, uh, some fairly skimpy clothing, um, all the things. And actually what I found in my own practice and in my own teaching was that that was the furthest thought from what I was practicing. So as a yoga practitioner of, I'm celebrating 25 years this year, I'm not really sure how that happened. I don't think I'm old enough to have a 25-year practice, being that I'm only 27 in my own mind. But then, you know, <laughs> that's, that's just ego. Anyway, the point is, I found that the word yoga was so off-putting to most people that I wanted to work with that would truly get the benefit from this practice that I rebranded at the time as Intelligent Movement. And it was the first company that I owned. Um, Studio-based movement classes, intelligent movement classes. So really, yoga cunningly disguised as something else, but yoga nonetheless. And, you know, I started to go upstream and find a more accessible way of working. So I had found in my own journey that I had to make the movements more accessible for a side that had had uh, quite um, some intervention, multiple surgeries, we'll call it that. And 
you know, the, everybody that came to see me back in those early days of, of running those classes, nobody ever came through the door and said, I'm here for the yoga class or I'm here for the intelligent movement class. They always fell through the door um, clutching a knee or clutching a shoulder and said, you know, I'm here because somebody told me you could help me. So everyone who came through the door generally was as broken as I was. So we started to have a think about how to make movements more inclusive, more accessible. Things like just going on to hands and knees for many people wasn't accessible. Things like just laying on your back, just getting on and off the floor, just sitting, (laughs) those sorts of things. Actually, we had to go even further back than that. So how do we start? And the foundational gravity techniques, as you know, if you have already tried them out, start with standing and start with just sitting on a chair. So no matter where you are in your history or where you are, well, no matter what sort of medical history you have or no matter what uh, medical history you've got, no matter where you are, you can always start where you are and use what you have and do what you can. So we make it as accessible as possible. But back to the original point about yoga. So the general thoughts behind yoga, are the word yoga is to yoke or to bring together. And, you know, the ancient texts, which I think are more like postcards from deep states of meditation and um, that sort of stuff, tend to point towards a connection between us and some call it the unifying field, some people call it the um, universe, some people call it God, Some whatever it is. It's the thing that is bigger than us, the connection to that. But actually what I found in a 25-year practice has been that the connection initially is to yourself. And the door to that connection is either your body, as we see in yoga postures or movements, and that doesn't have to be the traditional yoga postures, that can just be any kind of movement, whether that's dancing, whether that's um, being in the gym, whether that's running, wherever it brings you into a place where you are concentrating on the inner workings of your body. And the other doorway, of course, is your mind, which we would call meditation. So, and again, meditation is a one-pointed focus. So that can be watching your mind while you're running, while you're painting, while you're um, cross-stitching. There's so many different approaches that I've heard over the years. That place where you lose yourself into nothing but this present moment and I believe that's or that's my experience of what yoga actually is it's a reconnection to ourselves the problem that we have a little bit like the trust connection between the body and mind is that it can get broken or it can get forgotten or temporarily misplaced you know we have a very busy external world that calls for our attention 24-7. We put down our phone, switch off the light, go to sleep. 
wake up in the morning, roll over, pick up the phone, start checking the emails and the social and then we go and make breakfast for our children or we're getting ourselves out the door to work or, you know, the list is endless. But we fall out of our day and out of the external world to sleep and then we come out of our sleep and straight back into the external world. So we spend long periods of time with ourselves our attention taken into the deeply into the external and the body the internal workings of the body the internal dialogue of the body van der scaravelli used to call it the song of the body the voice of the body the language of the body is drowned out and it's not heard so we spend long periods of time disconnected to ourselves And I've said this on more than one occasion, we are living in an epidemic of disconnect. We can't feel our bodies until our bodies start to scream because those little messages saying, hey, my knee hurts, hey, my foot hurts, hey, my hip hurts. Could you change something here? I've got a bit of a niggle going on. And we either just ignore it because it's not so bad take some painkillers to keep ourselves going, a headache. Rather than slowing down, taking some deep breaths and maybe having an afternoon off, and I know some of you will laugh because I work with people who work long hours and those of us that have small children, you don't get the afternoon off. So we have the painkillers. But in taking painkillers, we then allow ourselves a window of opportunity to ignore the call for attention that your body or your mind had. And whilst painkillers can get us through, they just provide us with a window of opportunity. So if we have the headache and it's your body's call for your attention because you need to rest and relax, if now isn't the right time, then the painkillers are appropriate. But we need to diarise a point in the very, very near future where we do stick the kids in crash or take time out while they're at swimming lessons or diarise an hour while they're at school or diarise an hour for when they go to bed and you can have eight till nine o'clock or nine till ten o'clock to have that rest period. It doesn't need to be a lot. The reason that we've got ourselves into a thought process where we need massive amounts of rest, we can never get enough rest, is because we're running on depletion. So we haven't had enough rest for such a long time that by the time we get to the summer, we have two weeks off and we still haven't had enough rest. We could have had six weeks off and actually we're so in deficit, we're so into the overdraft that we're consistently topping ourselves only back up to zero, to our baseline. So we're never uh, really in abundance when it comes to our connection and our rest and recuperation. So this is where yoga comes in. The practice of yoga is really the ultimate in self-care. It's kind of the gold standard in self-care as far as I can tell. And it's hard I practiced yoga while I had a young child. I'd been practicing yoga before. It was generally quite easy. I worked through the day. Yoga classes were in the evening. 
I didn't have anything else other than my husband at the time. So I could just hop in the car on a Wednesday night and go to yoga class. That was my choice. And I thought, you know, this yoga stuff, pretty easy. But if something else came along, like a big night out or a birthday party or something else called my attention, I would go to that and I would save yoga class for Saturday morning or the following Wednesday. So off I went. Yoga's not so bad. It's kind of, it's a class that I attended for many years. And then I had my daughter. And yoga with a young baby is whole next level. I think yoga with children should be made an Olympic sport because (laughs) it just, they're not leaving you alone. It's almost like babies are born with a yoga radar. So as soon as you go to sit down or you're going to do a little bit of practice on your mat or whatever it is, they're awake. And we played the waking up game. So my young, my young baby, and I think, well, that's fine. I will wake up before she does. So she generally woke up. I had a good, a well sleeping baby. And I know that some of you don't, and I feel for you on this one. But I had a well sleeping baby. So she slept a lot in the afternoon and then she would go to bed, you know, get off to sleep about 10 at 10 p.m. And she would generally sleep through till about six or seven. Great, I think. I'm going to get up at quarter to six and I'm going to do 15 minutes and then she'll wake up at six. Wrong. She wakes up at quarter to six. So I think, right, half past five then. I've never done half past five in my whole entire life at that age. Now I get up at half past five every morning, but that's a different podcast uh, episode. So I think I'm going to get up at 5.30. She wakes up at 5.30. She wakes up at 5.15. She wakes up at five. And at this point, I'm out. I can't do any more. So I think, well, I'll put her down for her nap. And she doesn't nap. So the yoga practice and I are becoming more and more and more disjointed. So in the end, I just took her with me. She laid on the end of my mat, pointing and laughing, I think. They call it baby gurgles and kicks, but I think it's pointing and laughing. Pointing and laughing at my attempts to do some sort of movement and some sort of quiet sitting. And I used to hold her in my arms and sit quietly. And it wasn't until a little bit later when I was... um, introduced to Tibetan the Tibetan Buddhist um, way of meditating that I finally read a book called Restoring the Balance by Akong Akong Tulkul Rinpoche and it was all about how to practice in real life and Akong Rinpoche describes his story of his children climbing all over him him sitting in the lounge and his wife behind him in the kitchen making dinner. And this was the breakthrough for me, when I suddenly realised that actually, if yoga is the oil, life is the water. And to keep the emulsion, we have to shake quite vigorously. It takes constant attention for us to keep taking ourselves out of our lives, out of the external And putting ourselves in a space where we are reconnecting to our bodies and our minds. And we have to learn to do that with the kids, the cats, the dogs, the postman, 
the Amazon man, the doorbell, the neighbour who just dropped round to hand you a piece of cake because she thought that that was, would be a nice thing, the phone ringing when the school is telling you that your kid's just thrown up at school, the all of this life stuff, the life stuff, your boss is always going to ring in the middle of meditation if you're meditating in the day. There's always an urgent email and this is life. There's always something and the practice of reconnection to reconnect the trust between the mind and the body and to practice the true sense of yoga is to develop into reception and to keep coming back to ourselves. And it's not our fault because we're not taught this stuff. We should be taught this at school. We're not taught how to manage life effectively at school. So I'm not surprised that they don't teach interoception either. But interoception is the development of your skill to be able to go inside your body and wander around the vast landscape that is your inner world. It's not comfortable at first. I remember the first time I laid on the floor with my hands on my tummy and the teacher instructing me to breathe into my belly. And at 15 years old, I couldn't. At 16 years old, I've still found it very difficult. I had a mind that was all over the place. It's taken a long time to get here. And it's taken a lot of practice. But it is accessible for everyone. And I think that's the main point of this episode today on International Yoga Day is that yoga isn't what it looks like on Instagram. Are there postures as part of the practice? Yes, there are. Can you choose not to practice those postures? Yes, you can. And that's what makes it, I think, one of the most inclusive and accessible practices because at a time when I've had surgery and I've had the uh, movement practice stripped away from me at a time a few years ago when I was very ill with allodynia which is like a fibromyalgia for scar tissue there was no movement all I had was lots and lots of pain uh, which gave me gave me uh, a sharp focus let's put it that way but I didn't have any movement I could lay in bed and stare at the ceiling On better days, I could sit in bed, propped up by cushions, but there was no movement practice there. And all I had was to work on myself. And I listened to lots of, you know, Louise Hay, affirmations, guided meditations, that sort of stuff. There's unlimited resources available. But I think that it's really important that when we talk about yoga we start to change the narrative away from this gymnastic um, movement practice that is shown to us on so many different platforms because ultimately the practice of yoga isn't instagrammable it's not social media worthy because if I did take photos of me and my personal practice which I don't because it's personal but if I did it would be really boring. I'm just throwing that out there. It would be, here's Kaz doing yoga. Here's Kaz doing yoga again. 
Here's Kazda, and it would just, honestly, it would bore the socks off you because it's really not that exciting. There's nothing external here. It's all about this internal connection practice. And with regards to health and well-being, it's a really useful practice because when we take time to sit inside ourselves, we get to ring the changes So navigating through perimenopause, menopause and postmenopause as a woman, it's very, very, you know, the, the landscape changes on an almost daily basis. Hormone fluctuations, environmental factors, even down, you know, we live in the UK, so it's cold, wet and damp or it's warm, wet and damp. And sometimes it's hot and dry. And our inner landscape, our bodies respond to all these different environmental factors, all these different emotional factors, all these different hormonal factors. So we're changing constantly. And the point of a daily practice, a daily connection practice, which is what some people would call yoga, encourages us to sit inside, notice what's going on. So one day we come in and we go, oh, that's different. Oh, that's different. Oh, that's different. And that's really good for health and well-being because we can notice cellular changes very, very early on. I can feel when I've got a cold coming. I can feel if I've been working too hard or have overcooked it a bit and I definitely need to rest. We develop this dialogue, a two-way conversation between our mind and our body where we're listening to our body and it's speaking its needs and we are responding appropriately. We listen to our mind. I love Simon Sinek talking at the moment about mental fitness Because mental fitness is exactly the same as physical fitness. We listen to our mind. How are we feeling? How am I feeling mentally at the moment? I could be on top form. I could be absolutely exhausted. I've pushed it too hard working on a project. It's taken everything I have and now I need to rest. And my mind is telling me that I need to rest. I might have had a life event. Divorce, death house move, new baby, whatever it is, are we listening to ourselves and responding appropriately? Because ultimately the upshot is you can't pour from an empty cup. And I learned this very, very quickly as somebody with only one kidney and limited um, energy resources. When they take the kidney, they take the adrenal. So adrenaline and I have a long standing relationship because I have to watch that stuff because I don't have very much. And when it's out, it's like pressing on the water cooler button and my water cooler's empty. So I've got my cup, I've got my tap and I'm pressing the button, but there's nothing in the tank above. And this isn't healthy. So it's tapping in with myself because ultimately, if my tank is empty, I can't serve the people who need me most. First and foremost, my daughter. Secondly, It'll be the students and the clients that I serve, my family, my friends, my close relationships. I can't pour from an empty cup, so I have to make sure that my tank is full first and then they get the best of me. So food for thought. So it's a little bit 
a little bit deeper than I thought we were going to go today. But I don't script this stuff. I just sort of sit down in front of my microphone with some ideas about what I want to talk about and out this stuff sort of comes. So building the trust. Notice if your trust connection is broken or slightly damaged. Practice the gravity technique. How do I feel? And I talk about this one a lot. How do I feel? And the answer will come straight back from your brain. I feel this. I had a lovely morning with my friends this morning. Or I feel this. I've had a stressful morning. I've been working too hard. That sort of stuff. But when you get behind that, we can start to tap in to the voice of the body. We can start to tap in to the dialogue of the mind. And we start to get a true account of how we actually feel And then we can respond appropriately. I talk about rest a lot because, as I say, most of us are rest depleted. We are very, we're exhausted by a world that demands far more of us than it ever has ever before. Particularly for the women listening to this podcast, I started to make a little thing about, you know, a little list about why the external world or where the external world was taking our attention. And actually I ran out of page with kids, work, house, relationships, close relationships, friendships, parents, social life. And the the list is huge. And we have a world that supports burnout. It congratulates us for putting all the work in and censures us when we sat with our feet up watching Netflix. So there's a lot of shame and a lot of guilt woven into taking time out for ourselves. And actually, when we do take time out for ourselves, we're rewarded in our life in the best possible way because we're present and we can experience more. And the people around us get us. They get our presence. They get our love. They get our friendship. They get our connection. And that's deeply fulfilling on a soul level. It's life-changing stuff. So have a think about practicing yoga. It's an interesting thing, you know. Have a think about what a yoga practice might look look like for you because there is no hard and fast rule and it certainly doesn't reside within a movement practice that pushes your body beyond reasonable limits. So, food for thought. And happy International Yoga Day and happy solstice as well today. Solstice is just a beautiful, beautiful time. Solstice is a time where we reflect over the six months that has been. We look forward to the next six months. Summer solstice when the world is in bloom. Stop to smell the roses. And again, that in itself is a yoga practice. So I'd love your thoughts. I'd love your comments. For everything else, head over to gravitytechnique.com forward slash links. Uh, There's lots and lots of fun resources on there at the moment. Um, Some video links and bits and pieces if you want to see what gravity technique yoga looks like. Commonly known as sneaking yoga up on you when you're not looking. But there's nothing in there that isn't inclusive or isn't accessible for absolutely everybody. I designed it that way. So as always, pop me your comments, pop me your questions. And thank you so much for joining me today. You are appreciated so very, very much. Take care.